You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. This morning we are going to be starting a four-part series called A Faith for All Seasons, a faith for all seasons. Our church is growing, as you might know. There's different uh, seasons that people are in, whether it's still in their singles or they're get, people are getting married or having children or they're getting into that elderly age. And, and, and so what we want to do is be able to minister, be able to speak into each of those seasons. See, the faith life, the, our, our Christian journey is a long process. It doesn't just happen when we're young. It doesn't just happen when we're, we're, when we're young adults even, or even when we're older. It, it actually starts from early childhood all the way up until Christ calls us home or, or he returns. And so what we're going to do with this series is we're going to look at the various stages of life and the role our faith plays into those stages. Ultimately, our goal is to cultivate a faith that endures throughout every stage, every season of life that we might find ourselves. But also, we want to cultivate an appreciation for the stages that we might be in currently, or even the stages that others are in currently. And so this week, the topic of, of discussion in this, the, the first stage of 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 our faith life, we're going to be talking about children, children. So please turn with me uh, or turn to someone beside you or around you and tell them the title of my sermon this morning, A Quiver Full of Arrows, A Quiver Full of Arrows. As mentioned, the topic for this morning is children. Now, we live in a world, unfortunately, where children are often abused, neglected, used, or even abandoned. Oftentimes, children are viewed as burdens. This idea of that, to, to have fun, to continue sort of that single lifestyle, you can't have kids. Um, they, they, there's this idea as well that if you want to have a career, if you want to have a, 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 a nice job to get everything that you want, financially speaking, a nice house, all of that, then uh, you can't have kids because kids will be a burden, a burden to your fun a burden to your, your body image, even. In fact, it's very strange to hear so often nowadays that people outright say that they hate kids. That's very strange, I find. Children are used to oftentimes even affirm adult children, right? There's, that's why there's a lot of indoctrination happening in schools and society these days where, trying to peop- where, where people are trying to, to groom the, the children of, or the youth of this generation so that they can just feel affirmed about their own identity, so that they have a whole other generation affirming their own sinfulness, in addition to that, of course, we know that children are often used as pawns for the powerful. If you ever see sort of that uh, idea of, of politicians kissing babies, right, to make themselves look like they're very approachable and they love kids, and a lot of these policies that they, they come, up, uh, come up with these days are on behalf of protecting children, and in reality, it's just protecting their own rights and their own image. And of course, of course, we cannot forget the fact that in our day and age, children are often viewed less than human. That's why abortion is so rampant. Because the baby, the child in the womb is 
according to a lot of a lot of heathens in the world, are not human at all. So in a world like this, the church should not be the same. The church should, the people of God's word, God's truth, should not see children in the same light. It should be quite the opposite. And this morning, I want us, the goal for our sermon this morning is to be reminded or even to, to discover the, for ourselves, the value in which the Word of God places on children, on the life of a child. Not just the, the value of a, of a child, but also the vocation of a child. What God calls children to do, even in this stage of life, even as they're growing and learning things. And of course, we also want to set, to set for ourselves a, a vision for children, a, 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 a culture in which we as a church community, as a church family, will cultivate um, the children in our community and also those around us. Ultimately, that's what we want to do. We want to be a church that loves kids, that, that, that disciples kids and walks with them in this journey of life as we lead them to Christ. And of course, there's also the, there's the added benefit of hopefully trying to induce baby fever to those who are married couples in our congregation today, um, if you do not have that already. Now, with that said, what does the Bible truly, what does the Bible say about kids? What does the Bible say about kids? So let's talk about the value of children, the value of children. Let's go to our passage and jump down to verse 3. We'll cover the, the, the first part of that, the first half of our passage um, later in the sermon. But verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Two words are being used to describe children, a heritage and a reward. This relates to how, how, how children are, are things to be sought after, things to be considered as a blessing from the Lord, a reward, a promise uh, from the Lord. This harkens back to uh, the, Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant that God made uh, with, with Abraham, where, where he said that I'm going to make you a father of nations. The way that Abraham would perceive the Lord's blessing, the Lord's favor, the Lord's provision in his life, the, the Lord's uh, prosperity in his life was the fact that he would be a father of many nations, that he would have a lot of children. So in the same way, children... For those who are believers, for those people who are of the word, ought to see children as desirable. Children as, as, as a reward, a blessing from the Lord, rather than what the world says, again, a burden. In addition to, it, to that, the passage says in verse 4, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children, uh, are, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now the imagery that's speaking here is that similar to how arrows are necessary, indispensable to a warrior, for a warrior to win a battle, so are children to parents. They're indispensable. You would not give them up. You cannot, you cannot just sort of leave them aside. See, in ancient times, and this is very contextual, by the way, to, those, to the readers of, of Solomon's day. In ancient times, families were, were built, or, or rather communities were built of families, and, and even more so greater in context, tribes. Maybe you've heard of the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Dan. So the more children you had, 
Again, referring to why more arrows in your quiver is great. The more children you had, the more tribesmen you had to specifically defend and maintain your property, your family, your honor, all of that. Hence why, again, it was, more better, to ha- it was better to have more kids. Now, again, this is very contextual to the people of their day. We're not trying to create tribes here at Plus Life, but if you want to have a whole football team as a family, please, by all means, by God's grace, right? But at the same time, it, there is still an application to this, this promise or this, this statement in Scripture, uh, in the sense of having a, a, a greater family unit to support one, one another with. More kids means more hands to help around the home with. More hands to help serve in ministry with. More hands to contribute in, in building and supporting the family household. But also more love and emotional support. More more joy in the family unit and building up, ideally, in the family unit. So you might be asking, you know, is Pastor Ian advocating for large families? Well, I'm just telling you that the Bible says be fruitful and multiply. That's, that's essentially what it's saying, right? And absolutely, absolutely, you know, the, the, the larger the family, the better, right? I'm trying to get my wife to consider maybe five, four, I don't know, right? We just, we got to pray about it, uh, she says, but... But understand, right, that's, that's, the, that's the biblical image, that, that, that God loves children and God also loves family. And so why wouldn't we want to have as many children as the Lord grants us? You know, it's funny, there is a, there is a, uh, a research done about the fastest growing religion in the world, in, uh, I think maybe in the couple, uh, past couple of years, and, and before, prior, it was actually Christianity. Christianity was the fastest growing religion in the world, but then uh, Islam had overtaken it. And people were questioning, like, what's going on? Like, is, is Islam really going out and evangelizing so many people that people are converting to Islam? No, the, the truth is Muslim families are having more kids. That's, that's what it is. And so their numbers, the more kids that they have, that factors into the amount of, uh, of Muslims that are increasing into the world, right? And of course, we're not trying to compete with Islam in regards to that. And of course, we believe that, right, you don't inherit your salvation via your parents. But at the same time, God desires for godly families. God desires for families to, to, that, that would grow and follow him in this life. Now, in addition to why uh, children are indispensable for, uh, in, in another point here, we have to understand that the more children that we have, or the children, that, by raising children that are God-fearing and God-honoring, we also, as parents, have the help and care, especially in the later years of our life. The Bible teaches that it is the children's responsibility to care for aging parents or even grandparents. Look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 with me. It says uh, in verse 3 of 1 Timothy chapter 5, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Verse 7, Command these things as well so that they might be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
So again, the Bible is calling children, specifically in the later years, to take care of parents. That is a helpful, uh, a helpful tool for parents in later years, no doubt. Now contrast that to the world. It's like once you become of age, you leave and abandon your parents. Once you get married, you don't, you don't have to connect with the, your parents anymore. You just move out and start your own family. You don't care for your own. You don't care for your relatives, your 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 parents, or anything of the sort. You just sort of go into your own family. Even even in sometimes in in what we see in media, you're even taught to hate your family, to find your own family and friends and in the world, in communities. We should not be that way. We should not abandon the, the parents that, that raised us. We should not abandon those who cared for us in our childhood. And of course, we, we know how often this looks like in the world as well. Elderly folks end up getting placed in nursing, home, nursing homes and abandoned. For the same reason as well as why people don't want to have kids, because they view elderly parents as burdens, time-consuming, deterrent to their career or their kind of lifestyle that they're trying to pursue. Again, we should not perpetuate that in the church. It's why, if we're talking about abortion, it's why abortion is so sought after. Why the world is so captivated with this idea that children are a burden, a, a deterrent. A, because once you have kids, the world is saying that your life is over. Once you have kids, the world is saying that you can't do anything anymore, that you're going to be financially bankrupt, that you're going to go down, uh, you're going to spiral out of control. All of these things, all because of kids. And unfortunately for these women who have unplanned pregnancies, the only option that they hear about is abortion. As a church, we should not perpetuate that. That kind of mentality that children are a burden. That kind of mentality that, that, that our life ends when we get kids. I'm telling you, as a parent, you, you, you find more reasons to be joyful about when you have kids. I know oftentimes when I'm up here as a, as a pastor or even a parent, right, I, I, always, I, I always complain about my kids or whatnot. I always talk about how Judah's a, a, a wretch, right? But uh, the reality is, man, I, I love my kids, and God teaches me so much and, and, and shows me so much joy through my kids. And, and, and to display or to convey some sort of burden as a result of having kids, uh, I know that is not right. We need to see the value that God places on children. And a good example of, of that, of an explicit value in which God places on children is Jesus' own comments towards kids. We read in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke where, where some kids wanted to come to Jesus and the disciples were like, no, 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 don't go near the master. And Jesus was like, suffer not the children from coming to me. He invites them in. He allows them in. Furthermore, in Matthew chapter 18, we, we see Christ's heart and even protective nature over children. Matthew 18 verse 4, it says, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He says in verse 5, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is Jesus' words. This is Jesus' sentiments to those who would desire to, to corrupt the innocence of a child, to, to abuse a child, to groom a child for their sinful purposes. 
to deceive a child. Jesus is saying that they are deserving of being tossed in the sea. How much value, how much, this is how much value Christ places on children. How, how much value God bestows on children. So much so, that's why, listen, when we, are, when we are saved into the family of God, we are called children of God. That's our primary title as, children, as, as believers, as children of God. We're not the servants of God. Yes, we are servants of the Lord, but that's not how the Father sees us. Yes, we are ambassadors of the Lord, but the primary way, the primary title in which the Father sees us are, is His children. Because that communicates value. That communicates the Father's heart for us. His declaration that we belong to Him. That we have been adopted by Him. That we are loved by Him. So if that's the kind of value, that's the kind of perspective that the Lord places on children, on even us who He calls children, then we should have the same. We should have the same towards kids. Now, a fair warning, I should say, as much as kids should be wanted from the Lord, they should not be worshipped like the Lord. As much as kids should be wanted from the Lord, they should not be worshipped like, like the Lord. Parents, if they're not neglecting their child or abusing their child in the world, the opposite, the opposite extreme end of that is that they live for their kids and primarily their kids. They're willing to miss out on church just for their kids. Their, 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 their schedule moves around their kids and, and, and even dictate God's time around their kids. Extracurricular, extracurricular activities, soccer, music lessons, school. Meanwhile, God becomes second place to those it's absolutely possible to idolize your kids. It's absolutely possible to idolize your kids. Kids are meant to be a blessing, not a burden, but they're also not meant to be idols in your life. You are meant to lead them towards God. You are meant to, to disciple them and point them to God, to, to display to them how, how one should prioritize the things of God. Again, kids should be wanted from the Lord, but not worshipped like God the Lord. We must represent a proper, appropriate, a proper, an appropriate value towards children. Now, secondly, let's talk about, so that's the value of children according to scripture. Now, let's talk about the vocation of children, the vocation of children. What is a kid's call and purpose in this life? You often hear in communities, even in churches, right, that children are the future. Children are the future of the church for example, that's very much untrue because they are part of the church today. In Ephesians chapter 6, uh, it reads in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may, be, and that may, it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says a similar thing. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, why would Paul say that if the children weren't part of the church? Why would Paul include that command to children in his letters if they weren't part of the church? 
The point is that when Paul sent out these letters to the various churches to Ephesus and to Colossae, the expectation is that the, the, those leaders of the church would be reading this aloud, this letter, and the children would be involved. The children would hear these commands as well. They were part of the congregation, listening to the word of God, listening to the letters and the words of the apostle. They were part of the church. So like all members of the church, they have a responsibility in the church as well. A responsibility, and their responsibility is to grow and be instructed to cultivate a proper mindset in the Lord, in Christ. That's the season of faith children are in. They are students. It's why God made children so impressionable. Why they, 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 they made them like a sponge to take in everything. They are meant to learn the things of God at that early age, at that early stage. Now notice as well in those two, two passages that we just read. Well, it's particularly in Ephesians chapter 6. Let me just read that again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. There's two commands that are given to children. Well, actually three, and we'll go through it. The two commands is, it has to, is obey and honor. The first one, obey, has, is an action, has to do with acting. Children are to be taught and practice obedience. They are to be taught to do the right thing, to, to submit to elders, to submit to uh, authority, the authority that was placed in their lives. In the same way, children, it says they're to honor your parents, and that is a, an aspect of attitude. Children are, to, children are to be cultivated in their hearts and in their minds with a proper perspective, a proper worldview, to know what is right and wrong according to Scripture. Because that's the context of what this command is. Again, Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Same thing in Colossians. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So this act of obedience and this attitude of honoring, all of it has to be in the context of the Lord. In Ephesians, again, it says, in the Lord, Colossians, it says, uh, what please, this pleases the Lord. Not just obede- it's not just about obeying your parents. It's not just about honoring your parents in action, in attitude, all of that. But faith, that's, it's putting your faith into practice. It's following the faith of the apostles. It's following a biblical worldview and biblical values. Everything in the Lord. That's the context. Again, contrasting that to the world. What we shouldn't be doing with children. Children are taught freedom. Freedom in the sense that rather than obeying, you choose. You decide. You determine for yourself. Children are taught not to obey, but self-determine. Schools are, I was hearing this from some teacher friends, but even in schools, some teachers are not allowed to say no to kids. It's why many children are being pushed towards these, these gender alignment surgeries because adults are saying that they're old enough to make those kinds of decisions. They're taught freedom and, not, and, and freedom not in the, in the biblical, in the Christ-centered way. In addition to that, children are more so affirmed Rather than, rather than taught or corrected or, or edified. And they're taught to seek affirmation as well. Rather than a proper perspective through trials and 
rather than being corrected when done wrong, affirmation. They're not taught truth or, or proper coping mechanisms when they experience hardships. They're taught comfort over character oftentimes. And of course, most certainly, unfortunately, we live in a godless world. And a godless world produces godless children. Not in the Lord at all. Not in, like what Paul is commanding children to do and to be in the Lord, to obey your parents in the Lord. They're being trained to not have faith, but to dwell and to seek after their flesh over the material things. They're being taught that truth is relative, that their truth is their truth and that it's based on their feeling on that day, of that day. See, freedom, affirmation, identity, all of that stuff is good. But outside the context of Christ, it's worthless. All of it. Now, that's why we have a whole generation that is so confused and is suffering from mental health issues and more and more are being raised outside of the church. And when we're talking about these things, we can... You know, we can finger point all we want. You can say it's a school system. It's, you know, these, these, these leftist agendas that's being displayed on social media. And it's a culture. It's a society that we live in. It's the politicians and their policies. The reality is, according to Scripture, the buck stops with the parents. The foremost person, the foremost people to blame as a result of the generation that we live in are the parents. Because the biblical design for who raises children and teaches and cultivates morality and faith and character into children is not the state. It's not Instagram or social media. It's the parents. It's not even the church. The church is meant to help parents and, and to supplement parents so that parents can properly disciple their children. We can have Sunday school, we can have programs, but at the, at the end of the day, it's the parents' responsibility to raise children in the fear of the Lord. The church, are, the church is called to take care of the widows and the, the orphans in particular, in situations where there are no parents involved to take on that role of teacher and corrector and protector and to ha have a heart of cultivator and faith exemplifier to these kids. But first and foremost, it's the parents. Again, culture and society, they teach us that, build, that, that, that children are burdens. They, cheat, they teach us that, that the children... Our burdens, that's why, hey, you know what? Take my kids, take them to school, you take care of them, and I'll, you know, pursue my own thing. That's, that's, the, that's the mentality of the world. And if we have that same mentality as believers, sort of just let the education and the upbuilding, the edification of our kids be left to the state, to a pagan world, then we can expect to have pagan children in return. As parents, as believers, we must, we must take responsibility for the teaching and the cultivating of the children of our church. 
of our own children. And so the final point for us this morning, let's talk about the vision for children. The vision for children. Again, the design in Scripture is that it's the parents' job to raise their kids, not the state. The church can help and supplement that and, and, and help uh, train parents, equip parents so that they can properly uh, disciple their children. But at the end of the day, it's the parents' job to disciple their kids. In Malachi, I love what God says here when he's disciplining and rebuking his people. And he gives a great reason as to why he's rebuking his people in Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. He says, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of your, you be faithless to the wife of your youth. God desires a generation that fears him, that obeys him, that honors him, that loves him. And parents, it's, it's the parents' responsibility to raise that, to, to, in, to, to instill that into children. Notice, notice in, in the commands that we read earlier to children in Paul's letters. In Ephesians chapter 6, let's just go back to that real quick. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Then verse 4, right after that command to children, Paul follows up. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Same thing in that, that Colossians passage in verse or chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. In verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. What's, what's Paul talking about here? Provoking children, causing them to be, anger, or to be angry, discouraging them. What's he talking about here? This is one of the, the I believe, and something that I've been having to learn through him, so very much convicting as I was studying for this sermon, part of the hardship of parenthood. The reality is that children can discover obedience from parents or be driven further into rebellion by their parents. Children can discover obedience from parents or be driven further into rebellion. The context of family in Paul's day, that the families that he's speaking to in those days, it was set up in a way where, where, where the father oftentimes was the domineering figure of the household. What he said goes. There is no room for debate. There is no room for compromise. What the father said happened in those households. But what Paul's talking about here, the kind of household that God wants from his people the kind of household that, that, that God wants uh, the, the, the fathers of the home to lead out, the parents of the home to lead out, is one that reflects his father heart. God's father heart. What Paul is saying to the parents in these passages is the way that you, you exemplify the heart of God, the way that you parent your child, the way you discipline your child, all of it will reflect the love of God. Either poorly or in a way that is encouraging to a child. Children will get the first example, the first taste of God's love from parents. 
what you do can build them up in their faith or discourage them from their faith. What Paul means is when he says, don't provoke them to discouragement or don't provoke them uh, to get angry. He, when, he words, when he uses the word angry there, he's talking about rebellion. Don't provoke them to, don't act in a way that will, will push them further away from the faith. Will push them into, into rebellion. Children, again, can discover obedience from parents or be driven further into rebellion. You know, studying uh, youth ministry back in, in, in university and, and why so many Christian kids end up leaving the faith once they get into university and college. So many of them. There's lots of factors, but those who do stay in the church, those who do stay in the faith after leaving high school and after you know, going away from home and going into college, those who do stay in the, in the faith are those whose parents lived a life of integrity, a life of consistency between what they did in the church and outside the church. Parents who... who who, who were faithful and loving and, and didn't act one way out in public, but stayed the same lovingly and kindly in private. Those are, those are the kids from those homes are the ones who stayed faithful to the faith. Because they saw that the gospel that their parents believed in, the truth, the, the, the biblical truths that their parents believed in, was, was, was legitimate was actually consistent with the way that they lived in private. That is the, the burden of parents. You know, I, me and Faye often have these conversations. You know, no parent is perfect. And I'm sure other parents here know that. No parent is perfect. That, but this, this struggle of having to exemplify the father heart of God to our kids in a way that would, would not tarnish the image of God, would not, would not, would not devalue the, the faith that we have and that we are trying to instill to them. That is a hard call and a hard responsibility. And, and you know, just to, just to touch on, other, on another topic here, and this is probably a whole other sermon, but part of a lot of the problems that we see in society with children and in communities, the common denominator as well are, is, is absentee fathers, distant fathers. You know, it, it's so interesting how, how, how not just fathers, but men and women are so eager to jump into the bed with one another to get into that season but are not ever prepared for the consequences or are not ever prepared for the fruit of what those, those actions will be. And so when, do, when children do come up, when, children, when, 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 when people do get pregnant, these fathers are not ready and they leave. And that, and that causes a slew of problems. There's stats out there that you can look up where you know, children are more likely to end up in prison because if they grew up in a fatherless home, to get into addictions if they grew up in a fatherless home. 
more than anything, you know, I, I, I think this is what was convicting me the most, especially this, this past week, is just the thought of my presence and, and my, my responsibility for my children to be, and to my wife as well, to be the, the, the man of God to lead them spiritually in the home. And the reality is that responsibility and that weight's not just on me, but for every man, every man who desires to have a family, who is a husband to a wife, a father to kids, that is a great and heavy responsibility for us guys. So the vision that we want to set, the culture that we want to set, is we want to cultivate a godly generation. We want to cultivate a godly generation. We want to call parents to step up to the plate, to, to be responsible, to be an example of God's love for their children, to call fathers to lead their homes, to edify and correct and discipline and instruct their children in the ways of the Lord. And for those who aren't parents yet, those who are single we're going to be talking about you next week. But listen, you don't, you don't need to wait until you have kids of your own. Paul was called a spiritual father to many, even though he didn't have kids of his own. And he was single. You can be the same. You can be a spiritual father. You can be a spiritual mother to the children of our church, to the children around you, to your nieces and nephews. You can pour into them. You can build into them. You can teach them and disciple them in the ways of the Lord. Church, this is, this is the call. This is the vision that we wanted to cultivate in our church in regards to children. So there's, we talked about the value of children, that God values children so dearly, protects them, loves them. We talked about the vocation of children, that they are in that season where they are most... They are most receptive. They're like sponges. And this is a time to train them up and teach them in the ways of the Lord, the truths of God's word. Of course, and the vision for our church is to cultivate parents, to minister to parents, equip parents and fathers and mothers to be able to walk and disciple their children in this life. Just, I guess as we get into this closing portion here, this may be a word of comfort. A word of comfort for, for those who are waiting to be parents. Those who have been trying to be parents. The first part of our passage, Psalm 127, verse 1 to 2, says here, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who built it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. The point that Solomon is trying to make here is that unless God builds something, unless God starts something, we human beings, we, we labor in vain. And this principle is talking about God's sovereignty, his control over building a house, over building a city, over building, uh, over building communities. And this also applies to that second half of this chapter when it's talking about children. It's only from God's sovereignty that children come. It's only from God's purposes and plans, His timing that 
that families receive children. But don't miss the hopeful conclusion to this verse, this passage. Look again, verse 2 with me. It says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives to his beloved sleep. And I love this. Because in the midst of Solomon talking about the sovereignty of God, he also reminds us that God gives to us. That he blesses us. What we need as well. He's talking in comparison, anxious toil to sleep, rest. The point here is that God gives us good things in his good timing. God's timing is best. You know, I, I can talk all I want about, you know, wanting to have more children in our church and trying to encourage you married couples to have kids. But at the end of the day, God's word is true and faithful that it's upon his timing and when he thinks it's good and right to provide children for us, to provide children for you. If we want to cultivate a faith for all seasons, it starts in the spring of life in children. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.